This is Agents Influence Podcast. The tools to simply administer a policy, resolve a claim, go through the application process, those things are going to be available as online utilities. And once you move to that model, it opens up the doors for a wide array of experimentation. If you can connect AI to those tools in the cloud, if you can bring in data from a telematic sensor in the car, if you can bring in the wearables data from my Apple Watch, now I can offer policies that are linked to that data, and I can offer advice that understands that data. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey everybody, this is Jason Cass and welcome to Agents Influence, Conversations with Jason Cass. We've got another exciting one for you today. I'm bringing one out of right field. I mean, I'm bringing one to you that I think is going to have some dynamic information. This is not a household name like a lot of the people that I bring on, but I think you're going to find out that this is going to be better than some of those because this is a real life person who's dealing with a lot of things that are very curious to us and things that are going to help change our industry. But before we get over to Mark, let me just say to you, you know, AI brain share was fantastic. We're not going to continue to talk about it. It was now two weeks ago in September. We all met in Vegas. It was a fantastic time. A lot of stuff happened. But if you want the recordings, if you've looked, listened to some of the past mastermind, just go to insuranceagencyintelligence.com, insuranceagencyintelligence.com, and check out there where you can get the recordings for $150. And just the last couple podcasts that we've put out, I've had agents who have reached out and were like, dude, like you need to throw up more flares. You need to throw up more red flags and let people know that this stuff was dynamic and and we invited you there and you decided not to come and you know you regret that right now as a loyal listener so just go ahead and go to insuranceagencyintelligence.com and sign up and get those recordings you sign up you put your 150 in bam you'll receive a link where you can download them and they are all yours okay but in the meantime let's get on with the conversation that i want to have and i'll be honest i know this guy so little that you guys are going to get to know him just as much as I do by the end of this conversation. And so I'd like to welcome to the podcast, welcome to the conversation, Mark McLaughlin. How are you doing, man? Hi, doing great, uh, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Mark, tell them what your title is. Sure. So I am our global insurance director at IBM. Uh, I cover uh, IBM's activities across the entire insurance space. We do business with 95 of the top 100 insurers in the world, and that's my purview. Fantastic. Mark, let's get right into this. A couple questions that all the loyal listeners want to know. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? <laughs> I am an iPhone user. I have been for a long time. I uh, travel frequently uh, around the world just because of what I do and, and working with insurers, not just in the US, but uh, all over the place. And as a result, my family has to do uh, tech support without me. And so, uh, you know, I, iPhone and the Apple ecosystem uh, just, just is a little bit easier to admin for them. So uh, it's kind of ah. Usually when you want to get something that works, you go with the droid. So, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, this is a debate we could go on for 45 minutes. We're never going to resolve it. So. it, it, it no, never going to resolve it. Isn't it funny how we are as humans? Everything, you know, you got black, white, you've got a droid, iPhone. There's always uh, two sides to everything. That's just the way we make it. So anyways, you know, Republican, Democrats. got. No, let's not go would, there. <laughs> what would be the third iPhone party? You know what I mean? So anyways, all right, man. And I've got another question. So uh, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Huh. 
I probably am a hate to lose guy, truth be told. I, uh, in IT servicing and sales and, you know, technology in, in general, I think you, you have to recognize that competition is fierce and, you know, there's, there's always going to be, uh, situations where, where someone else, you know, has a better mousetrap today, but you just, you know, you, you really hate to lose because just losing it, sucks. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, it gets in your head sometimes. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's much better not to do that. So, so in your lifetime that you've been here and you've become who you are today, do you think that it has been directly related to more of a skill or more luck? I think that's probably about 50-50. I think America tends to sort of mythologize the winners and, and imply that it's all skill. But I think in, in any career, you know, there are always uh, fortuitous meetings, fortuitous uh, projects that you worked on. And, you know, no matter what you do in life, I think just happening to meet the right people who can help you along the way really moves you forward. I believe luck. And I really do. And I just look at my own life, but I look at, you know, I've read the book, The Originals. I've read the book, The Outsiders. And they all talk about one of the main things that determines uh, successful people. They took like the top 100 successful people over the last 100 years. And one of them was being born at the time they were born, being in the right place at the right time. And the other one was, and this is crazy one, the more they traveled, the more you travel the, when you were younger, the more likely you were to be successful. And it, it was really interesting. I would absolutely believe that because I'll tell you, I, mm -hmm. I've been doing this this worldwide coverage for 10 years now. And every time I go to a different country, I learn something new about risk. I learn something new about insurance. I learn something new about sales. And, you know, the innovation, you know, I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a lot of it was here in the United States. That's not so true anymore, right? There, there's some great insurance work being done in China right now. There's some great innovation going on in the German market. There's exciting new developments going on in Latin America. So, you know, we can learn from those other countries just as, as well as they have traditionally learned from the United States and the, the technology investment we have here. Ironically enough, now it was the author who took those hundred people. But if you read the list, you'd be like, okay, yeah, these are some of the most successful people either. What was amazing was more than half of them were military families. Huh. So they had been born in a military family, which allowed them to see more parts of the world. Interesting, but we'll keep going on. Mark, here's what I want you to do. Take us back, diapers, junior high, high school, college, wherever you want, and bring us forward to how Mark McLaughlin got to be at IBM where he is now. <laughs> uh, well, I started out at uh, University of Notre Dame. You know, that was a team that used to, you know, program that used to have a good football team. But, you know, I don't know, maybe, or, uh, <laughs> maybe there's hope this year. We'll see how Stanford goes. From there, I actually started out in aerospace engineering, uh, working down in near neck of the woods uh, in St. Louis for McDonnell Douglas and wow. uh, got uh, involved in uh, blowing up a lot of stuff in the desert, testing ejection seats. It was kind of an interesting career, but I didn't, knew even then, right, that technology had so much potential. And, you know, that was about the time the Berlin Wall fell and the Challenger disaster happened in uh, aerospace. 86, yeah, just, January 28th. Yeah, you remember. Yep. I do. It just wanted to get into something that was a little bit more dynamic. And so I went to uh, Accenture, fine firm, and they assigned me to insurance, my first assignment. And, wow. uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mostly haven't left. I actually tried to leave after three or four years of building underwriting systems for large uh, insurance companies in the Midwest. I said, I, I got to go do something else. I, I got to get out of insurance. And so I went to retail and I worked for, you know, a large uh, retailer in the Midwest on what is now kind of a, known as the superstore concept. And what I found was that retailers have really low margins and, you know, argue over every single nickel that you spend. They have to in their business. Mm -hmm. And insurance was more willing to invest. They've got a little bit deeper pockets. They take a much longer view. And I actually liked insurance better. So 
I came back and I've never really left since. I've, I've been uh, consulting in insurance and uh, doing data warehousing and, you know, AI and, and analytics and a lot of different uh, work in that space. So uh, for 20 plus years now. So we talk a lot today in the insurance industry. Well, not we, not everybody, but a few outside the box agents. You know, sometimes I heard a guy the other day say, Mark, don't think outside the box. Just get outside the box and start thinking. Love that. But a guy said up in Jeff Roy, he is up at Excalibur Insurance up in Canada. And he has just developed, well, he hasn't developed, but he worked with developers that are going to allow, and he has this in practice now, where somebody can get an auto quote just by talking to Alexa or talking to Google Home. And it's a very basic thing right now. You would just tell them your name and some basic information, and then they they give you a rate. Now, that's a lot easier to do in Canada than it is in America, because they have a lot of set rates by the government, and they all have the same, basically, the rate. If one agent is selling next to another agent, they have the same company, the same rate. It's purely based on relationship. But now we're starting to see voice to where when somebody calls into my office, Mark, and my screen recognizes or my computer, my management system that manages my data recognizes their phone number, boom, it pops them up on the screen. And now we're starting to hear about taking it even further about when that person calls in and they can actually, the system will detect their voice and bring up all of their stuff on the screen. There's just so much stuff that's going on right now. I had another podcast with a guy, CEO of Risk Genius, and he probably, I we haven't released it yet, but it's probably the one before this one. And he talked about how he had created all of this stuff that the companies are using to analyze different coverages between policies, and it's through machine learning. And I just, we're so overwhelmed with that stuff right now. Do you think this is only, obviously, I'm teeing this up for you. Where are we going in the next five to 10 years? What does it look like if I was inside your mind, not as an agent, but looking at a holistic insurance industry like you see? Well, so it's interesting. I probably talk more to the carrier side than to the agent side, right? And And that's fine. That's fine. And so they have a view and they see attention that I think agents absolutely have voiced, right? Which is how do we sort of take advantage of some of those new technologies from voice to AI to mobile tools to social media networks to, you know, analytics to Internet of Things. There's there's lots of technologies out there that all of which have the potential mm-hmm. to sort of transform the insurance experience for the end insured. And carriers are very excited about a lot of these things. But every time they build something like what you just described from the carrier side, right, the distributors all say, wait a minute, you know, they cry foul. They say, you're going to cut me out of the loop. How's that going to help me? And, you know, I think there's this tension that the insurance companies are well aware of. And I think the smarter ones recognize that these tools at the end of the day don't build trust with the insured. What builds trust with the insured is a real life person. And they are complementary, right? I think there's a lot of ways you can use these technologies that sort of build up the human connection. And then there are ways that you can take these technologies and try and replace the human connection. Well said. But I'll tell you what, we do studies of the insurance industry just as part of what we do at IBM. We have to do that to inform what we're, you know, the investments that we make. And one of the ones we do is on the subject of customer trust. And we survey 22,000 consumers every two years. And we ask them, do you trust your insurance company? Do you trust your carrier? Do you trust the value proposition that the industry makes? And those trust scores are 40-something percent. I mean, Whoa. and what's worst is <laughs> if it went, they're worst in markets like the United States and Japan, right? Or mature markets, right? And they're, they're highest in, in markets like Malaysia, where people just don't know that much about insurance. They just trust big companies, right? So, so you end up in this, ah. in this mode where we're trying to sell intangible products, right? To end consumers. 
And the more they get to know our industry, the less they like us, right? And that's not a not, <laughs> that's that's not, a, good not a good thing. Plus, you know, <laughs> they only talk to us once or twice a year if we're lucky, right? Half of American consumers right. talk to their insurance or less than once a year. And so I think this idea that we are that that's okay and we should just kind of work through the existing channels isn't going to work. And yet automating those things, I think, is actually counter to the solution. Now, you can automate the simple stuff. You know, what should humans be doing if AI can just get you the basic information? I think that's a really great question. And I, I think that space is a lot of where I end up talking to, uh, to insurance companies and, and folks in the industry today. Daniel Burris put it this way, and I think you'll agree it's what you're going down. He said, picture a lawyer. He said that he believes, which ironic, he's a futurist, believes in technology. He said the future is relationships. And he said the reason why relationships are going to be more important in the future is because technology will actually actually enhance that relationship. It's not supposed to replace the relationship. And like you said, there's instances where it can and it should, but there's a lot of point in time where he said he gave an example to take it outside of our industry of a lawyer. He said, there's not going to come a point in time where Watson or some computer is going to be standing next to you in a courtroom talking to the judge for you. It's just not going to happen. He said, but what will happen is you're going to have a way more equipped and knowledgeable lawyer because of all of the technology that he's going to be able to start on himself, picturing Watson being able to go and read all case law involving whatever, you know, over the last 500 years and being able to do that in a less than five seconds and being able to give that lawyer better information to defend their client. I think sometimes it's easier when we take ourselves out of our own industry. And I thought that that was really well put. Uh, absolutely. I think that's spot on. And, you know, I think of the work that we're, we did with Amica in the claims adjust application, right, where they took the claims process and they moved it all on onto the iPad. But it wasn't just taking the old process and putting it on the iPad, right? They said, look, if you were standing there with everything that the company knows in your hand, you know, standing in the customer's front lawn with the trees lying through the roof, what could you do? And how might that process change? And what questions might you ask? And what pictures might you take? And what evidence might you gather? And could you close the claim right there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of thinking is a lot of change for distribution. Because there's no reason the agent couldn't be doing a lot of that. It starts, we assume that there is a role named agent. We assume that there is a role named risk manager. We assume that there is a role named claims adjuster. We assume that there is a role named underwriter. And yet, if you apply all of these tools... Might those roles change and evolve where the humans are adding the value in the process? The value in that Amica claims just scenario isn't isn't the iPad. It's the guy standing there, right? And, right. You know, and telling you it's going to be okay and showing you here's how this is going to work and, you know, maybe cutting you a check on the spot, right? So it's, I think there's sort of, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear saying, hey, you know, AI might replace the, my conversation. You know, it's it's going to make it easier to expose pricing. So, you know, I, I look at this kind of like the travel agency industry. Mm -hmm. When Expedia and Travelocity and all those dot-coms came along, right? The travel agents that were simply taking your order, turning around and kind of calling up the airline and buying an airline ticket, they struggled, right? And frankly, a lot of them went That's out of business. Right. But the agents that were providing true value-added service... They thrived 
They're right. They're still here making a crap. They are, and, and I happily pay it. You know, I booked my honeymoon mm-hmm. when I got married. I darn well called the travel agent, right? And and they said <laughs> we're right. going to charge That's you five hundred right. bucks. They said fine. That's right. So when you know, I think we just have to think about where do we add value, and it comes down to things mm-hmm. that are emotional. It's helping the customer emotionally understand risk. It's helping them understand why they might need to offset that risk. What after all is an abstract product, and where I think a lot of the action is going to be is value-added services around risk. You know, Mm -hmm. term life, right, is becoming very commodity. You're seeing that become sort of a a marketplace where it's very easy to go online and compare pricing. And there are some details you need to know, right, which is where a human helps. And most buyers actually would prefer to verify with a human even online. Right. But where the value is, is wrappering that. I saw Haven Life the other day off, is now offering trust and will advice sort of surrounding the base life insurance product. I think that's entirely where the market's going to go. You become gotcha. a more generalist provider of risk advice and service and you sell insurance policies, but you sell financial planning, you sell home inspection. So diversification. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the carriers are starting to think that way too. And they remain, I think, in most instances I talk to them, they're not trying to get rid of the traditional channels. Many of them feel very dependent on those traditional channels. Mm -hmm. But what they want to do is to equip those channels with AI, with, you know, mobile tools, with the data where they can do a better job of servicing the customer and a better job of connecting with the customer. And, you know, and right. that way everybody wins, right? So, And we're our worst case. I mean, I feel sorry for the insurance company. It has to do with exactly what you started this conversation with. We don't like faxing. We don't have faxing. We're paperless at our office. And I said to the insurance companies, I said, when are you going to stop sending us faxes? And the insurance company said, when are you going to quit demanding them? <laughs> right? Like, it's like, you guys, we're trying to do it, but you guys won't let us. And I, and I think it goes back to what you're saying. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies that do want to make that turn. They do want to provide those tools. But right now, I mean, I've been talking about APIs for probably four five, six years. There's still agents who are coming to me and saying, man, I'm not trying to be, I'm embarrassed to ask this, but like, what's an API? What's that do? Well, I'm not saying that that person's dumb or anything, but I'm saying if you don't understand that basic, There's no way an an insurance company can give you the type of tools we're talking about here, Mark, and that person understand them. And there's a lot of times people are saying in this industry, this is way more than the majority. They're saying, I don't need it. I'm good. Right. And so that's where. So I wrote the book, Customer Service is Just Foreplay, back in 2014 about how it's the customer experience that will separate you, not necessarily your customer service. Everybody says they have great customer service. And so today I'm trying to bring that book forward to what I call the great separator, meaning, okay, if everybody creates this great customer experience, right, they can get the quote online, they can sign their stuff electronically, they can have mobile apps and service themselves. But what's going to be the agent on top of that? And I think what we're talking about here. It's AI, machine learning, insurance of things, being able to provide these tools. And I love what you say, you know, we need to keep the emotional side, but there's a lot of the logical, mundane stuff that could be automated. That's not going to affect my relationship. I believe it would enhance that relationship. And I, I believe that. Well, I think we have to deploy these technologies in ways that are obviously going to help the customer not just settle a claim, not just solve the contractual argument after something really bad happens to them, right? But instead, mm-hmm. avoid the problem in the first place through good advice, through, Amen. you know, through value-added services. And, you know, the interesting thing is underneath 
you know, all of this. There is a giant technology shift going on in that five years ago to build out all of these systems, you would have had to go buy lots of different software packages. You'd have to go set up some servers in your agency and the insurers have the same problem, you know, setting up data centers. You'd have to get that software to talk to each other. It, it would all be very monolithic. You'd have to pay a lot of upfront licensing fees. It'd be very expensive. It'd be very hard to connect. And, and it didn't, you know, it just was patchwork. It never worked very well. All mm-hmm. of that is moving to the cloud. And where we are, and IBM's very actively investing here, as are others, you will see insurance essentially in a box in the cloud. And the tools to simply administer a policy, resolve a claim, go through the application process, those things are going to be available as online utilities. And they're going to be relatively low cost, and they're going to be as a service, which means you're paying on a per-policy basis per year. And once you move to that model, it opens up the doors for a wide array of experimentation. If you can connect AI to those tools in the cloud, if you can bring in data from a telematic sensor in the car, if you can bring in the wearables data from my Apple Watch, now I can offer policies that are linked to that data, and I can offer advice that understands that data. And mm-hmm. I can offer a life policy that discounts, you know, if I go and work out in the gym three times a week, right? I can right. offer home insurance that gives me, along with it, a maintenance contract. So I maintain my water heater and I don't have the flood problem in the first place. You can mix and match these products and services in new ways. And what's fueling that is APIs, right? Which right. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to talk about APIs here, but that's okay. You know, because you're exactly right. It, it's, it's very forward thinking, right? It, but you have to understand how to connect to these systems. Now, I think what will happen is you'll have an, you know, sort of a, an industry platform where you can go as an insurance company, you can go as an agent, you can go as some of these other providers, you know, the automobile providers, the home service providers, and offer your products and services in an environment where you can quickly connect these things together without paying IT a million dollars, without buying a gazillion servers, and without, you know, having to worry about whether it's all secure or not, because after all, this is all incredibly secure and private personal information that we're dealing with. Those things will be handled for you by the platform. And where the industry is headed and where the forward thinking are headed is how do I take advantage of that to assemble, you know, some of these unique value propositions mm-hmm. and then arm a real live human <laughs> to right. go have a conversation with a customer that's informed, you know, that says this customer based on their behavior probably thinks about risk in a social sense, right? They worry about going to the cocktail party and being the only one that doesn't have umbrella cover. Mm-hmm. And so, Making sure that that I appeal to that is useful information for the person standing in front of them and is useful information for the customer because it gets them to take action to cover the risk, right? It so, gets them to take action. That's what I was yeah. pointing out there, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right? So I think, you know, as these tools become easier to connect, as you see these environments develop, right? And IBM is, is working on this very thing right now, you know, in the insurance platform space with MetLife and Group Benefits, and we're building that out for other lines and other geos. You know, we're building those environments where you can pull in a Watson. You can pull in data from the weather company. You can pull in third-party models from somebody like a, a Hazard Hub, right, or an RMS, and you can connect 
these things and, and build new products and services. And, you know, agents can take advantage of that. And you mentioned the guys in Canada kind of building an experiment. I mean, they could do it themselves. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I laugh, at, you know, in these sort of interoperability environments, one of the things they make IBM executives do, and they made my boss go do, right, is they made them go build an app, right? My boss hadn't coded in 20 years, right? If he can do it, anybody can, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> nah, probably not, believe me. <laughs> Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. You know, one thing I want to I want to turn the corner and I want to talk about Watson a little bit more, because I believe that when we just hear Watson, what most of us assume is that, yeah, it beats somebody on Jeopardy. Right. We don't really know much more about that than that. I want to turn the corner on that. But here's one thing I wanted to say real quick. I've always been just fascinated with electricity since I was a little kid. Thomas Edison was my dude. I figured out after a while that he really didn't invent much. He just made it to the patent office before everybody else did. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. One of the things I learned is at the turn of the century that businesses had their own little generators in their office and they never maintenanced it after having it. It was poorly built because electricity and machines like that were kind of new and it would burn down a lot of businesses. It was also very inefficient in the fact that the it just wasn't very efficient how it worked uh, for the sake of conversation. And it finally got to the point where they created generators and what we have now today of, of power plants. And then in, rather than them having their own local generator, they would just tap into this generator. And for years, there was people who fought and they said, nope, I'm having my own generator. I don't need that, blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there listening to this and I'm thinking, this is how people think about servers today. Like there are still people who refuse. I'm talking a large majority of the insurance industry who refuse to give up their server to the cloud because whether they don't know what it is or they don't think it's secure enough, what they really don't realize is all their fears are actually in the server that they actually have, you know? And I was just talking with an agent yesterday who got hacked and I asked him, I said, do you have a server? You have your own cloud? He said, I have my own server and I pay my tech guy down the road to protect it. Well, just being truthful, the Guy down the road, because he knows how to fix your Windows 10 and he knows how to put on Norton, doesn't necessarily mean that he knows how to keep that secure. So I just thought that was interesting. And then you started talking about the cloud based on how we used to be with generators versus how we are now with yeah, I, I think that's spot on. And I'll tell you, I used to, at one time in my career, I ran a business that did small small business tech and serve insurance agents and business at that size. And you're exactly right. And sooner or later, it's going to be impossible to secure that data unless you are in one of the larger platforms. And it's simply because the, the people who understand IT security are getting so expensive and so fought over, right? That I yes. think that, you know, unless you are the size of a state farm, it is very difficult to secure this yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is ultimately going to drive a lot of this to a more centralized environment. Now, I do think that there is room for computation at the edge. We call it edge computing in tech circles, right? I think there's room for smarts locally 
I think how they work is very different. It's it, that's more of a data in the hands of the consumer sort of thing. That's right. you know Apple and their privacy initiatives, and we are not going to own all the data as an insurance industry. We are likely going to have to work with partners who have yes. access to that data. And you know we talk a lot about ecosystems and disruption. You know, when when you, you think about tech strategy, right? It all comes back to. Can you negotiate access that the customer agrees to and that other providers agree to where you can exchange data in return for reduced risk? And, you know, I think if you put that in front, so it's funny, I'm wearing my Apple Watch here, right? IBM actually paid for my Apple Watch and they actually pay me through discounting to log workouts and to meditate every year. Wow. Now, why do they do that? We're large enough, we carry our own health risk, right? So it's an economic winner for the company and, you know, and a winner for me, you know, for me to take care of my health a little bit better. And if they had come to me and said, Mark, here's your, you know, executive tracking device and you have to wear this ankle bracelet <laughs> you know, for your time right. at IBM, right? I'd probably be working for somebody else, right? You know, but they didn't do that. They came to me with a value proposition that said, hey, look, let's share the data and it's a win-win. And here's the, you know, the privacy and, the, you know, and the anonymization that we've applied. And do you trust us? And I said, okay, for, for you know, for, for several hundred dollars. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think those sorts of value propositions make a ton of sense. Hey, I'm going to track your car around and follow you and, and be nose into your business. That's not a winner. Hey, I'm going to track your teenager. So <laughs> if they're doing something dumb in the car, you know about it. That's a winner right. every time, as any that's parent will tell you. Every time. Right? That's right. So, you know, I think if we make the right value propositions as an industry and keep the customer first, we could fundamentally change how risk is handled. We could get and we could probably get them to actually buy more insurance products along the way. Right. You're darn right. We could. So let me ask you this, Mark, turning it over to Watson. What is Watson? Watson's been around for a while. We hear about it. We see it on our commercials all the time. But I mean, is there anything we don't know about Watson or is there a misconception that we're wrong about? You know, I've worked in AI for years and years. My first system as a consultant was actually artificial intelligence back in the 90s. So it's very different now. Wow. And I think they're the common perceptions by folks who don't work in the field are some combination of, of Terminator 2. And there's an old film called The Forbin Project, you know, Colossus came alive and took over the world. And, you know, it's the, the people worry about that stuff. And that's not really what it's doing today. It's more listening to information and making sense of information that you used to require a human to do or was very manual. So watching surveillance camera footage in a warehouse, watching pictures of a customer and figuring out what they're doing, listening to a call center conversation and identifying whether the caller is stressed or whether they use a curse word, you know, or whether the CSR is speaking in an accent that makes sense to the customer or does not make sense to the customer. Ah. And we can use AI in ways that sort of take advantage of, of information that used to not be analyzable and make it analyzable and then make better decisions with that information. And there's a lot of complexity behind that. When you think about interpreting the English language, I could use the word bat, B-A-T. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that that could mean the kind that flies around, the kind that you hit a baseball with, right? Or batting your eyelashes. Right. A computer, that's really hard to figure out. And you can tell from context, if I'm using bat and talking about baseball, you know what I mean, right? Right. Computers up until recently weren't able to do any of that. They now are much getting much better at interpreting and categorizing information. 
And then they can go through lots of information very quickly and summarize very well. So you mentioned uh, earlier in our podcast here, the reading all the legal documents. I actually chuckled because uh, IBM Research came to me a few months back and said, can you send us all the NAIC regulations? Um, Oh my gosh. And they are actively working on, can we build systems that can read and interpret those regulations and then come back and analyze your book? and say, this regulatory change probably affects these 12 policies because the the language that was used in those 12 indicates there might be a conflict. That would be awesome. Hey, take a look at these, right? That's kind of how these tools are working today. And, you know, we're applying them in call centers. We're applying them to determine which lawyers to bring in on a claim. We're applying them to the claims process. But you can think of it, it's almost like a giant, you know, Watson can do all the boring stuff so that you can do the exciting stuff as a human. That's kind of that's kind of the way so, to think about let it. Let me ask right? you, Mark, is there like is there a literally a computer in your building or in some IBM building that you could walk up and touch and say, this is Watson? Right. So it's interesting. We have initially deployed that when it was first the Jeopardy systems, mm-hmm. right, were built. You, know, you can actually go to Yorktown Heights, RTJ Watson Research Center and, and see those, see the actual computers. Right. Okay. But it wasn't like Deep Blue back, you know, in the 90s where, where Deep Blue played chess and beat Kerry Kasparov. Mm-hmm. It, that was a hardware problem. That was taking a very well-defined problem and using brute force computing to solve it. This is different. We had a lot of hardware behind Watson, but it wasn't groundbreaking hardware. You know, mm-hmm. it was just a, a room full of pretty vanilla servers. It's a big room, but I know, imagine it was huge. You know, <laughs> you know, we weren't talking, you know, moonshot kind of programs here, right? The moonshot was in the software and in the smarts and in figuring out how to build systems that could interpret imprecise data and reach imprecise conclusions and tell you how imprecise they were. If you recall the Jeopardy broadcast, it would tell you, well, I'm 86% confident in this answer. I'm 74% confident Mm -hmm. in this one, right? And and when it got wrong, it was only 38% confident, right? Gotcha. Now, that was then, right? Now, these are deployable again in the cloud. So one of those APIs, one of those programming interfaces that is out there, there's a whole set of Watson interfaces, right? So you can pull in speech to text. You can pull in personality insights. You can pull in language classification. And so you sort of pull in the tools that you need to solve the job or, you know, or the Legos you need to assemble the building. And, you know, that's the power of these cloud approaches, right? If your insurance data is living in the cloud in some kind of insurance platform, and I can bring in partnerships with the local utility, partnerships with the local credit union, partnerships with the local line of gyms or fitness centers or smoothie makers or, you know, name any retail operation here. And I can connect that data to some of these AI Watson tools. Now I can build entirely new experiences, right? I can do something that says, hey, you're carrying your life insurance with us. We want you to live a nice, long, healthy life. It's good for you and good for us. We notice you haven't been to the gym lately. (laughs) Here's a coupon to go to the local gym. You know, you got kids. Here's a coupon for the babysitting service, right? Babysitting service gets a referral. Gym gets business. You know, insurance company gets, you know, longer life. Customer feels like they're living a good life, right? That's kind of where the future is. That's badass. Can you quickly quickly assemble these things, right? That's the exciting part of where the industry is going. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you this. What are, we'll close up with this. Two more questions. Uh, This will be one of them. Where's that? What's the world doing that America's not? What are some cool things that you see other countries doing? Anything off the top of your head? So there's models sort of all over the place. So you're seeing social sort of linked insurance take off quite a bit. So right, people sort of using social networks to assemble 
groups of individuals who insure each other for small claims and then take the large claims and hand them over to insure, right? There are networks like French Insurance in Germany, right, that are doing this right now. And it, it almost goes back to the roots of insurance as a mutual. It's you as you telling all your friends, hey, you could, you could be in my network, except I'm going to leave out Uncle Joe because you know what? I think he's got kind of a drinking problem and, you know, I know he drives drunk, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to send him that email, right? So you, you see people kind of, you know, self-assembling networks, right? There's a lot of interest in sort of merging and value-added services. So in South America, you're seeing a lot of the insurers working with and even buying up doctors' networks and hospitals, right? So, hey, if you're going to insure your life and your health with us, we're going to take care of you kind of end to end. There's work going on. One of the big ones is uh, Zhang An in China. They got started. It's a joint venture between Ping An, who's one of the largest insurers in China, and Alibaba, who is essentially the Amazon of China. Right. They started off offering shipping insurance. So you order your stuff in Alibaba. In the more rural areas of China, it's not a certainty that you're going to get your stuff. Hey, check here and you know we'll charge you an extra nickel and insure your shipment, right? Gotcha. And it's only a nickel, literally. I mean, it's, these are very small policies, but they wrote a billion, a billion policies her first year. Whoa. And six billion, you know, the next year, and you know, they they expand. They're getting into credit insurance for the suppliers and health insurance for the workers, and you know, they they kind of go from there, right? So I know Amazon's been rumored to be thinking about the insurance business, mm-hmm. and you know, I think they they could take advantage of some of those sorts of models, right? And so. You know, how do you react as a distributor? You stay on top of those things, right? You listen to podcasts like this one and you make sure that you understand how these networks are evolving enough that you can position yourself to collect that information and take advantage, right? But if you sort of hide and say, well, we just want to protect the old way of doing business, we don't talk to insureds enough to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's true. There's other companies talking to our customers multiple times a day. And if they ally with insurance in different ways, you know, you could be cut out. So you got to stay on top of this stuff. Mark, we found out over our lifetime and over the history of the world that leaders are usually readers and readers usually turn out to be leaders. And you seem like to me to be a leader. So therefore, what are you reading right now? Where are you getting your info, if not from books? And if it is a book, what are you reading? Huh. That's a good question. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman is probably the last uh, thing I picked up. I stay current mostly by keeping track of what's going on in the technology space and insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And so the majority of my... I have a lot of airplane time in what I do, so I do get a few books read like, I bet you <laughs> like do. that. I bet you that do. Way, right? But mostly it's, you know, there are information distribution networks. Inside your circles, you guys share there's like certain, like we have the well, journal, right? We read that stuff. Yeah, but there's there's digital insurer that, that you know is is run out of Asia. There's insurance thought leadership site that uh, Dave Diaz and those guys run. We keep on top of all of the different analysts that cover the insurance technology space. Digital insurance dig in is absolutely worth reading. Honestly, a lot of it is social media. You know, I've been more and more active, not just in posting though. You know, you'll find me out there, but reading and reading widely. It's not just the insurance stuff. It's reading tech blogs like ASIMCO and Contra and Daring Fireball. It's reading, you know, the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. It's listening to and following, you know, folks on Twitter, on LinkedIn, folks who are in the technology investment space and insurance. CB Insights is doing a lot of good work in terms of keeping track of all the insurance innovation that's going on and the insurance investment that's going on, right? There has been the amount of money flowing into insurance startups. Huge. It's gone up 10x in three years. It's, it's billions of dollars. And there's lots of insurers trying to kind of play that game 
with varying degrees of success. But you can, you know, you sort of follow the money <laughs> and, and it gives you an idea kind of where things are going. So that makes some sense. of its books and, you know, again, not just current stuff. I mean, you know, it's Out of Control by Kevin Kelly. It's the end of lots of stuff. <laughs> you know, across a wide range of media. You know, I try and stay well read on that every day. My wife makes fun sometimes because she's like, what are you, why are you reading that in the middle of the day? I said, well, you know, it's for my job. And she kind of rolls her eyes. And yet I learned stuff from reading about telco, right? I learned stuff from reading about internet of things. Right? Love the I learned internet stuff of things. from reading just, just broader risk. And every one of those things comes back to somebody's got a risk. Somebody needs to offset that risk. And is that risk being effectively offset? Haven't even started on blockchain, right? There's a whole whole conversation we can have just on this. Yeah, blockchain. I would love, hey, you know what? Hey, I really do appreciate, Mark. Uh, this has went a little bit longer than I assume, but it has been fantastic. And I knew it would be something like this. And I do appreciate you coming on. And, and you are right for the loyal listeners and not because it's the podcast. It's me and Ryan Hanley, uh, loyal listeners, we started talking about this in 2009 and 2010 when everybody thought we were nuts. And that's the reason why we started our podcast that we do in 2012 and 2013 for this one. And I believe that we have been a small part of making these insurers get to Mark and say, hey, how do we figure this out? And it's just by pushing them. And I do appreciate you, Mark, coming on because it's your kind of knowledge that agents are going to hear that's going to open them up to say, I now see how AI technology or the things we've discussed, I now see how putting things in the cloud is going to benefit me and actually only enhance who I am. And so I encourage all you loyal listeners out there to find things like this, find podcasts like this, reach out to people that you know that are like Mark and say, hey, what about this? Because it's dudes like you, Mark, that are are going that see things years before we actually see them. You know, especially when it comes to the insurance industry. My God, they're just now showing us stuff they probably had since 2008 because they just now figured out how to get it out and distribute it to us. But you know, one of the biggest things that I want to put out a call for agents, Mark, and I want you to wrap up with this, is that one of the things that I hear, something you went you started out with, Mark, at the beginning of this podcast, was we're sitting in front of Ivan's which I don't know if you know who Ivan's is. They control our data in the insurance industry. So all insurance companies, their data goes to there. And we were talking with Ivan's and we said to them, they said, what is something that you need from us? They said that we could make for you. And one of the guys stood up and I thought it was genius. He said, whenever we submit a policy to a company, it goes into this black hole. Like we submit it for commercial lines. We submit all the apps and stuff. And we just sit around and wait like a, a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And then all of a sudden, boom, in your inbox, comes the quote and here's the quote. And you're like, oh, okay, now I can call the customer. Or we have to call the company like a week or two out saying, hey, I'm going to have this appointment at this time. I need this. And one of the guys that they had just hired, he was like 26 from Apple. And he stood up and he said, well, this is real simple. He said, UPS already does this. And it's kind of similar to Domino's, like how you can watch your pizza be cooked. You should be able to you know, send the submission off and get a link back. And that link, then you can click it at any time and you could see right where it's at in the submission process. And everybody's looking at each other like, oh, wow, this is great. And one of the guys from Hartford stood up, one of their, the CIO, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, that sounds great. And he said, and that's probably going to be, let's say we sink $5 million into making that happen. He said, do you know how hard it is to get that past my budget team? And we said, well, why would you? That's something agents need. He said, because we've told them about 10 other things that required millions of dollars to make, and we made them for you. And they're sitting there with 1% to 2% penetration as you actually using them. It's hard for us to keep going back and asking for this new technology and funding to create it or to bring it in or to connect it to the cloud 
and then you agents don't use it. There comes a point in time where we have to understand, is it worth it for us financially and as a business? Does it make business sense for us to create this? And you kind of alluded that at the very beginning, Mark, about them being able, we're only going to make the technology, we're making it, but very few people are using it. And you see that as a problem? Well, yes. And I, and I, okay. Okay. Yes. That's exactly the way large carrier and large data owners think. And there's a lot of data owners out there. I'm not going to name any names, right? That have a lot of economic capital invested in the model that says, we want to keep the data. We don't want to share it with you because that's right. That's right. That's right. right. (laughs) Or we can sell it to somebody else and, you know, sharing kind of undercuts our business model. Right. And there, there's large entities out there. Everybody can think of, right. But what I think is happening is the cloud deployment of a lot of this technology is, and the movement to as-a-service pricing makes it much more economical to experiment, much more economical to try and do those things, right? So when we started our group benefits platform work with MetLife and Majesco, we wanted to demonstrate that. And that's all running in the cloud. And so we said, well, let's go build out a, you know, something that solves a problem in group benefits. And we settled on, hey, you know, what if you have a question about your premium, right? If you're at a large employer, getting that question answered usually is mm-hmm. a bit of a trial. How do we fix that? Well, let's take the mobile tools that are on the truck. Let's take some of those Watson AI APIs that we talked about. Let's take some of the data out of the Majesco billing system and let's assemble, you know, a chatbot that can run on your phone and you got a question about your premium, ask it and it'll give you an answer. That's right. that's kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of chatbots out there. What's interesting is that took us a total of four weeks to build. And that is, you know, that's, that's a project that used to be $5 million in a year. Right. And now it's, you know, a couple of guys in a garage and and they take a couple of weekends and they they (laughs) slam something out the door. Right. That I think the cost of trying these things is about to radically drop. It's already dropping. Right. You look at cloud pricing and, you know, it's we're very competitive in that marketplace. We understand it very well. You know, it's all kind of nickels. Right. You can go on on IBM's website right now and you can download weather company data for free. Yeah. If you download a lot, we're going to charge you. (laughs) You know, you can get 100 records for free or something. And, you know, for the next 5000, it's probably just pull out your credit card. You can experiment with these things very readily online at very low cost. And what that does is that drives the innovation to the point where those those big players who are too slow to move or who are too protective of their current business model, they're going to be in trouble. And you know, there's a lot of work going on in the blockchain space where there's a lot of folks who are in those sort of data ownership positions. There's other ways to self-assemble these sorts of solutions and solve these problems at pretty low cost. And you know, there's some exciting things going on. It's good to hear you say that. So next time that CIO is sitting there telling me that, I, I won't use your name, but I'll say there's a guy at IBM that said he can do it for less. So anyways. Well, you want a good, you want an interesting <laughs> podcast, get him and I on, on together and we'll argue about it. <laughs> that would be awesome. There are so many loyal <laughs> listeners right now that are like, Cass, do it. Hey, Mark, appreciate your time, buddy. I know your time is valuable and you've been here with us for almost an hour. Thank you very much. Keep leading the charge, man. If there's anything you need as far as a distribution, like you need us to help give you some information or some feedback, please reach out to us. I've got a huge network. There's about 20, 25,000 agents that listen to this podcast a month and we would be more than happy to try and help you from this side of the aisle. Mark? I appreciate it. appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. 
really. We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner and I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.